0: I am tired. I thought I would figure this out. I feel like I have to be perfect. Always on. Always moving.
1: Why, Why is it, is is it so, so loud?
0: I desperately need a place where I can slow down. A space to call home. A home that allows me time to process. To discover who, who i meant, meant to be. To me. We were never meant to do life on our own. So I? I. I will be a part of something greater. greater. Well, good morning, Community Lincoln Park. It's great to be with you as we continue this series on U+. As we're sitting in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, to begin, I just want to reflect with you on... Finding orientation if you are ever lost. Have you noticed since we've had smartphones, it is much easier not to get lost than it would have been even 10, 15 years ago. I mean, for those of you who have smartphones, I'm guessing most of us do. Do we have any Google mappers in the room? I personally am a Google mapper. I can stamp my support of approval. Anyone over in Apple Maps? I'm sorry, yeah, uh, I'm sorry, that's your choice. And then who here, Waze, thinks you're better than everyone else? Okay, great, great, a few of you with Waze. Um, I, as I was traveling down memory lane, I wanted to take you back, since I'm obviously very old, uh, into the recollections of my youth. Anyone here over the age of 30 probably remembers this strange window of time when I was learning how to drive, where MapQuest <laughs> was our resource. So I went, MapQuest still exists, For what purpose, I do not know. Uh, (laughs) I entered MapQuest from my apartment over here to Lincoln Hall. I printed out the page, much as I would have done. This is just a history lesson for any of you who are under the age of 30. Um, But the, the problem with MapQuest, and really the problem for all of us with our phones, is that if you're dependent on a GPS, and you find yourself in an area that you're not familiar, and you lose access to your GPS, you're really stuck. Uh, when was the last time you had a memory of just not knowing where you were, and either having your phone die or having the internet not load, and you feel this panic welling within you? Well, interestingly, there is one group of cabbies who exist who have done their due diligence to be prepared for any scenario. If any of you heard about this, uh, there's In London, in fact, the world-renowned best cabbies in the world, this is partly because London's city street grid is so complex, it's so densely interconnected, it's going all the way back to horse and buggy roads, side turns, all the rest, that in order to become a cabbie in London, you actually have to pass this test called the knowledge, isn't that? kind of amazing, the knowledge. Uh, Most cabbies study for three to four years in order to become fully licensed. They must memorize not only every street, but 100,000 businesses and landmarks across the city and be able to chart 26,000 streets onto a map with no assistance. Next time you're in London, I would encourage you to jump in a cab. Now, as amazing as this is, Uh, Think about it, like for just a moment, to internalize that level of knowledge. What if we could actually have some sort of guidance, some sort of map that helps us navigate life and faith in the same way? I think you maybe know where I'm going with this. uh, But this morning, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, I just want to reflect with you on how incredible this resource is that we are given, how Jesus offers to us the scriptures the word of God, as the very map that we need, but that's for so many of us, we rarely spend enough time in to be able to receive the wisdom, the guidance, and the instruction that it's intended to offer us. So this morning, as we look at this passage that Jesus uh, is going to continue in the Sermon on the Mount, Scott McKnight, who's a New Testament scholar, theologian, is going to say this is the most significant passage in the entire Bible on how to read the Bible. And so if we are going to be followers of Jesus, if we're going to step into this U plus life that we have been talking about, what does it mean for us to receive this gift that is the word of God that Jesus intends for us? Okay, in order to dive in. If you have your Bible, you can feel free to open up with me to Matthew 5. We're going to be looking at verse 17. We'll have it up on the screen. But Let's dive back into Jesus's Sermon on the Mount and hear what Jesus has to say about the scriptures themselves. So here's what Jesus says. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Okay, in order to understand why this statement is so significant, I need to give you just a tiny bit of background to this passage. In Jesus's day, his society of the Jewish people living under the Roman law had kind of separated into different parties, affiliations, and one of the key parties that Jesus would interact with over and over again were the Pharisees. I'm sure you've heard of the Pharisees before. Now, what's interesting about the Pharisees is that they ultimately were teachers of The law. They were teachers of the Bible. And if you go back into the Old Testament, you discover that there in the center of the Old Testament are going to be these Ten Commandments, right? These Ten Commandments that come out of Egypt as Israel is gathered at Mount Sinai. And these Ten Commandments really set the stage, the vision, the law for what Israel was meant to be. But if you keep reading the Old Testament, you discover there's not just Ten Commandments. Actually, if you were to sit down and count, as many Pharisees did, the laws that God gives through Moses around the Ten Commandments, you discover that there are actually 613 laws that God hands down to the Israelite people. So the Pharisees believed that because they had these laws, 613 of them, they thought that if all of Israel could get together and obey the laws enough, then God's kingdom would come back. So the Pharisees, for understandable reasons, were very passionate to teach everyone about what the laws were, how to follow the laws. In fact, the Pharisees were so passionate that they began to offer new directions, new interpretations, actually clarifications of laws on top of other laws. So for instance, one law in the Old Testament says to honor the Lord your God by following the Sabbath seems like a pretty clear law on Saturday the people of Israel would all together cease their work in order to honor God through the Sabbath but if you take just even a minute and ask yourself well, what does it mean to cease from work well the pharisees had a lot of suggestions for you in fact the pharisees came up with a full 39 subsections of work that within each subsection, they would clarify, you know, additional subsections that could also be determined. So in case any of you were curious, does tending to your donkey, if your donkey breaks their leg on the Sabbath count as work? The Pharisees would say, well, yes, it does. Actually, we'd encourage you to not take care of your donkey on the Sabbath in order to honor God, in order to follow his law so that God's kingdom would return. You tracking with me? So if this is what's going on with the Pharisees, when Jesus shows up on the scene and Jesus starts preaching that first of all, the kingdom of God had come, the Pharisees' hair is a little blown back. Uh, They are looking around and saying, hey, no one's following all 613 laws. In fact, we've even gotten close to the subsections of the subsections of the law. What is Jesus talking about? And so as the Pharisees started to critique Jesus, they started to suggest this guy doesn't really care about the law. Jesus isn't here to uphold God's word anymore. So, In a very important moment, as Jesus is preaching his most influential sermon, Jesus wants to set the record straight, and this is what Jesus says. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, to fulfill them. That word, fulfill, is key as you sit with what Jesus is saying. Actually, it's the same word that would be used for raise, Or lift up. In fact, when Jesus is said to be resurrected, this is the same word. Jesus is lifted up. He is fulfilled. And so what Jesus is saying is that he has come not to abolish this law, but actually to raise all of the law up to its intended purpose, which is very interesting. It's almost like Jesus is upping the stakes on the Pharisees by asking them what the law was really intended for. So let's continue then with what Jesus says. This is now Matthew 5, 19. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I don't know about you, but if you're in the crowd and you've been following Jesus up to this point, you might be feeling a little bit of whiplash and disorientation. In following Jesus. Like you knew what the Pharisees were talking about. The Pharisees told you, hey, for God to come, you got to hit your marks. You got to do the right things. You've got to be righteous. And yet Jesus now shows up preaching that the kingdom of God is already here, seeming to offer these wide hands of embrace. And yet now as you listen to him, Jesus says, hey, by the way, I'm here to fulfill the law. And actually in order to follow me, you're going to have to keep all of it. But here's the real kicker. As if verse 19 isn't sort of confusing enough, we get now into the next verse, verse 20, which I just want to warn you, is a confusing verse. Christians have for thousands of years wrestled with verse 20 and what it says in just a second. You'll see why. This is what Matthew 5, 20 says. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter The kingdom of heaven. Okay, so this is one of those verses. There's a couple of them in the New Testament. You read this verse, you got to sit for a second. (laughs) You got to catch your breath. You got to say, whew, something's happening. I really want to understand, but it feels pretty intense, whatever Jesus is getting on about. So so let's sit with this verse for just a moment as we ponder the U plus life. And the key word that I want to, I want to lean into with you is this word righteousness. Righteousness. Now, anyone who is listening to Jesus in this day would have assumed that what Jesus was talking about when he talked about righteousness was fulfilling all of those laws and regulations, the rules that the Pharisees had been so adamant needed to be enforced. Now, I've been pondering all week, what what does this word righteousness bring to mind for us today who lives in the city? I think the first thing that comes to mind for me— is, sounds similar to what Jesus was talking about with the Pharisees, is a kind of religious righteousness. Any of you grow up in religious context, especially if you grew up outside the city, any of you grew up down south or in even Christian, Catholic, conservative families, uh, religion can have very strict set of rules and behaviors, can't it? So often in religion, there are things you should say and things you shouldn't say. There's behaviors that you should do and then there's behaviors you shouldn't do. And normally there's some kind of, like, appearance that you should offer that everyone accepts. Like, that's a good religious person, whereas that's that's not a very good religious person. And I think as you sit with this, you you feel kind of confused by Jesus, because Jesus seems to be calling for something more than just religion and righteousness, right? Like, he's talking about something more than just these rules that many of us maybe grew up in or experienced in some way, inevitably failed at, felt disappointed in, and then kind of said, I I don't know if religion really is for me. Uh, But as I've been thinking about the city, if you can go with me here on this one for just a second, I'm pondering, I'm pondering how, while religion kind of has its own rules and regulations, there can actually be a kind of righteousness that the city requires. Have you noticed this? I'm not alone to observe that in our current culture, in an urban context, uh, what sociologists would describe as a secular humanism, secular meaning all beliefs are okay as long as you don't push anyone else's beliefs out. Humanism meaning all experience is good as long as you get to have an authentic individual experience. Uh, The reality is there are kind of things within an urban culture that you should say And you shouldn't say, for instance, to just give you a silly one. I mean, if someone were to sit down with you and say, you know, I really think Starbucks is the best cup of coffee I could ever get here in the city. You'd say, listen, I don't know that you understand the rules of the city. You've sort of missed righteousness. Uh, You're not really living up to our standards. But of course, the stakes can be far more serious than that. In fact, there's this fascinating story in 2015 of a woman named Justine Saccaro. I don't know if any of you would have heard about this. This was earlier days in Twitter, and Justine was the head of PR at a pretty large company, was going on this international trip around Europe and down to South Africa, and then was heading back to the United States. And as Justine was traveling, she was sending tweets from airports that were humorous and mildly offensive, if you go back and read them, as many humorous tweets on Twitter probably are, if we're being honest and think about them. Uh, But as she was traveling around the globe, she hits South Africa, lands, and has a particularly unsavory tweet about AIDS that she hits send on, powers down her phone, and gets into the plane for an 11-hour flight back to the United States. At this point in time, Justine had 170 followers on Twitter, which is not many. Uh, By the time her plane would travel across the Atlantic in the next 11 hours, her tweet became worldwide trending and started a hashtag that was Fire Justine. By the time her, tweet, her plane landed in the United States, she had lost her job. She had lost most of her friends who no longer could be associated with her, and she would struggle to get back to work. I, I share that story not because I think Justine sent a good tweet, but rather to highlight to you there is, in fact, an unwritten code of righteousness right here in the city and as i reflect on that code i see a danger and i see a problem for all of us if we're being honest all of us who are living the city life and i'll be the first to confess i I love the city i love being here in the city i love the culture of the city but the problem with righteousness in the city is that you never know how the rules are going to change you never know in our current secular moment who is in and who is out, what words you should say, what words you shouldn't say. And in fact, Justine's experience can be so unnerving because things that were acceptable at certain periods of time, now no longer are acceptable anymore. Uh, One just (laughs) interesting observation on this. This is my last one. We're gonna get back to the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Cultural analysis, Miley Cyrus, anyone here? I'm speaking to the millennials in the room. Miley Cyrus, who grew up a child actor in Hannah Montana, was dearly beloved until she wasn't, right? Until uh, she had a, a bit of a public meltdown. Uh, cultural critics and commentators said, wow, Miley is totally out of control. Like, we're not really sure what we feel about her. And then, publicly, had a very uh, sweeping romance back with Liam Hemsworth. Anyone reading the gossip as closely as I am? No? Okay. Uh, is beloved and embraced until, of course, their marriage tragically has fallen apart, and yet now Miley has released flowers, which any of us who are living on the airwaves have heard. And uh, as I observe this, my point is not that I have any understanding of Miley Cyrus's life. My point is that the codes, the culture of righteousness, is actually a pretty high standard. And sometimes you're in, and then sometimes you're out, and Sometimes it changes, and sometimes those who were out are now in, and sometimes those who are in are now out. And if that's a danger, I think the problem for righteousness in either religious righteousness, in which there's a ton of rules and regulations, or city, urban righteousness, in which there's this unwritten code of what we should and shouldn't say who is in and who is out, is inevitably at the center of all of this righteousness talk is you and me, right? And as we think about ourselves, and as we think about all of our best intentions, the good person that we want to be, the challenge is that I frequently fail (laughs) to live up to the standards of righteousness, whether I am in a religious community or whether I am participating in the city's community of righteousness. It's just impossible, if you really sit with these lofty standards, to look truly at yourself and be able to defend that I do not have moments when I am selfish, that I do not have moments when I think, man, I would, I would love to, to serve the poor, but I, I'm a little busy, and like I'm, I'm interested in buying some new clothing, so uh, I, I would love to, to help out uh, in a way that makes a difference in our neighborhood, and yet, you know uh, I'm pretty busy. I've got got a lot of stuff going on. I I mean, if you really sit with the city's definition of righteousness, I would ask you, who, who has fulfilled that righteousness? Who truly is righteous among our secular cultural moment? No one can live up to these standards that we set for ourselves, whether they are religious standards or whether they're standards that we've set on our own. So here's where Jesus comes back into this moment. Jesus says to the Pharisees and to the Jewish people living in Israel, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus getting at here? Well, I for one am am somewhat terrified that Jesus is saying and I, I knew I was always going to fail the Pharisee standards. Uh, I don't think I'm going to hit the standard of surpassing them that Jesus is putting in front of me. But I'm also a little bit relieved as I hear Jesus say that. Are you relieved as you think about the city? Like Jesus actually wants something more than even our culture is calling for when it comes to righteousness in the city. So if, if we're going to have this, if we're going to receive this, there really is only one definition that helps us understand what Jesus is saying. If you were to ask, what is righteousness? I would offer you, at the heart of righteousness, is a right relationship with God and others. It is relationship made right. That is the heartbeat of righteousness. And here in Romans 5.1, we receive the incredible news That since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. You cannot achieve the righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees. Instead, you must receive that righteousness from someone else. And that ultimately is what Jesus has come to offer to you. Praise be to God. Yet, I don't want to just leave us here because I don't think Jesus even just leaves us here where everyone is off the hook when it comes to righteousness. Instead, righteousness also looks like behavior then in response to relationships being set right that conforms to God's will and is faithful to God's command. So Jesus says, unless you fulfill the commands and practices of the law, then you will not enter this kingdom. I think what Jesus is saying is when relationship is set right between you and God, when relationship is restored with God that allows you to start restoring relationships with other, your life does begin to flow now in renewed alignment with who God is. And you begin to offer God's love and God's right relationship to everyone around you. There's actually a verse that Jesus is going to share later in Matthew 22 that I think gives the key to understand The righteousness in Jesus's kingdom as opposed to religious righteousness or secular righteousness. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 22, 37 to 40. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now if I could be so bold, Is it possible, is it possible that this righteousness that Jesus is teaching us, this righteousness that Jesus is calling us to is actually a righteousness that loves God first, that actually talks about loving God and then also moves from loving God to loving other people. Here's my observation in religion. The problem with righteousness is that often religious people tell you you should love God, but then they fail to love other people and the problem with urban righteousness is that we can get really focused on loving people, but we fail. We fail to begin right here in receiving the love of God and loving God ourselves first. Is it possible that the truly righteous, the righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees, is centered in a love of God that has been set right in relationship that orders your orientation and your focus, and now because of that love of God, flows into a, a transformative love of other people. I think this righteousness that Jesus calls us to is a whole person way of being in the world that conforms to God's will. This isn't focused on behaviors, this isn't focused on even a rigid set of rules. Instead, it is purely relational. It starts right here with love and flows out of love into a conformity with what God has called us to be in the world. I I love Sky Jathani, a pastor in Chicagoland area, says this, Jesus doesn't merely desire people who appear good, even those who do good. He wants people who are good. I think this is the heartbeat Of Christian righteousness. This is actually the call of the Sermon on the Mount, and and here's the crazy thing. This is ultimately the calling and gift that this U-plus life we've been talking about is offering to you. We think we want a life of flourishing because we hope to be happy. We hope to have good things take place in our life, and none of that is bad, but Jesus wants a U-plus life for us because he wants a love of God to actually transform us into the kind of not just good behavioral people, but good people that Jesus then sends out to love others in the world. Now, at this point, I have been very uh, maybe up here uh, talking some theology and abstract. I want to take you right down to the ground, practically speaking, of what training in this kind of righteousness looks like. And I, I think Jesus very intentionally has connected his call for righteousness to his call to fulfill all of the scriptures. Here's just an interesting verse that I think reads in a new way uh, in light of Jesus' call for a righteousness surpassing the Pharisees. This is 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. Paul is writing and he says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and, you want to say this with me, training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I take you back to the analogy of a London cabbie who spends three to four years internalizing every facet of a map so that they know exactly where they need to go and how they need to get there. We have actually been offered in the word of God a map Uh, a guide, something that can, in fact, equip and train you in righteousness. This book can help you love God. I I mean, if you're not hearing from God, if you don't have God's words flowing through your life, how can you deepen the love of God? And yet this book actually is intended to also help you love other people. Imagine if, imagine if over the next several weeks, several months, several years, if you were to spend deep internalizing time in this word, you could actually love other people the way you want to love other people. Wouldn't that just be a relief? Wouldn't that be such a gift? In order to help you do this, the thrust of this whole series is that we've been encouraging you into a conversation. This is what we're just wanting to highlight again. Uh, this conversation is what we're calling a U conversation. Several of you here have had these conversations. We've got small group leaders who have been trained on how to have these conversations. We'd love to have them with you in your small group. And the goal of this conversation is really to just help you reflect where am I at with God, the church, and the world? Like, what's going on in my life? You get to set the pace, you get to set the direction. We're not going to pry, we're not going to poke, we don't have any sort of 613 rules and regulations. We're planning on making you meet. Instead, the conversation's gift is that we get a chance to listen to you. We get to reflect to you what God is doing in your life, and then at the end of this U Plus conversation, we're encouraging every person to develop a plan, a three-month, six-month, and 12-month plan for simple steps you would like to take in your relationship with God, the church, in the world. I I think, even as we've been having these conversations, I've loved to hear, I mean, so many different things have come up as people have been reflecting and discerning. Oftentimes, though, it is something as simple as, uh, I would love to pray more. I have a notion of, like, prayer, but would love to deepen it. I'd love to engage scripture more. Uh, Other people have seen, like, there's new ways I'd like to serve. One of our small groups, just to praise them, um, have been wrestling with what it means to serve the homeless in the city and they've started together just putting packs of food into their bags if they walk to work and anytime they see anyone they can just hand out this pack Uh, this is the kind of stirring the training the equipping in righteousness that we want to help you in Um, but for those of you who who are drawn specifically to lean into god's word which hopefully in light of what jesus has shared is is something all of us are feeling in this moment. Here's a couple of practical ways uh, as a church we found to be most helpful and effective to, to internalize God's word. One is uh, this incredible resource we have called Community Daily. Monday to Friday, we send you in your inbox a devotional. It's normally a scripture that's related. So currently we're walking through Matthew. And it just gives you a chance not only to read scripture, to reflect on it. There's a couple of questions normally at the end of each devotional. Every now and then we'll have videos. Uh, we'll just encourage you, this is such a simple way to gift for us together to be immersed in the same scriptures for our training in righteousness. Uh, another great resource that many of us use is called the Bible Project. If you 've ever had a chance to check them out, they 're on YouTube, they 've got podcasts, they 've got depth. I think sometimes the Bible can be very disorienting. If you have a question about a book of the Bible you're reading or um, just even have a question about a theme or something in the Bible that confuses you, we 'd highly recommend checking out the Bible Project. And then our team here at Community has been developing this resource called Grow that will set you up to read the New Testament in a year. Got a QR code here. We've got more information online. Again, I know many of our small groups, many of you, are just trying to figure out what's, what's a plan? Like what's something I could do that would, that would give me some structure? What are some study habits if I'm trying to pass my, my knowledge exam uh, internalizing the scriptures? I'd highly recommend Grow as a way to just kickstart A deepening engagement with scriptures. Uh, I do have two more for you, though. Um, These last two are just creative ideas off the cuff. Uh, The first one is called Streetlights. Have any of you here heard of Streetlights? Uh, They have an app. These were developed by two pastors on the south side of Chicago, and their reflection was that uh, Bible reading often looks like reading can be very stale, And as two guys on the south side who both had backgrounds in R&B and had a music studio, they asked, what if we turned all of the New Testament into spoken word, put over a beat that then you can listen to uh, instead of having to sit down to read the Bible? So I'd encourage you, if you are interested in something fresh, every time I've listened to Streetlights, a new phrase catches my mind. Uh, The performances are incredible. It's really fun that they're right here on the south side of Chicago. Uh, And then one other one just throwing ideas out at you. Uh, there's a project I've stumbled across uh, just the last couple of weeks called the Every Psalm Project. It's by an artist, Poor Bishop Hooper. If you're on Spotify, you want to go check them out. They, about three years ago, at the start of 2020, unbeknownst to them that COVID was coming, they thought, what if we every week had a song that we produced that was simply this, the words of the psalms? So a song for each psalm, every psalm. And just this last November, at just over three years, because there's 150 psalms, they faithfully finished this project. And I have to say, I'm, I'm obsessed with this right now. And just so you can note, I mean, I've got something over here. If you're more R&B, I've got something over here. If you're a little more folk, you know, the whole range, I'm with you. Uh, try it all out. And yet, my encouragement to you is it doesn't have to look like Whatever you fear scripture reading may look like in your life, it doesn't have to be a very somber, quiet, uh, penitent reading of scripture that you give up after a couple days of trying. This is one of the ways that I've just seen scripture start to infuse my commute to work, my time in the car, time spent on a train. I encourage you with it as well. Um, friends, I think, I think we actually are longing for righteousness. I think in the city there is a hunger for righteousness. Like if you knew somebody who was truly righteous, who, who had a sense of deep love for other people, who had even more a deep sense of love for God, can you imagine how compelling that person would be in your life? What if God is calling you to be that person to others? What if this book was given to you so that you could be trained in a righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees, that instead of one that's built on rules and behaviors is one that sits centered in the love of God that flows out into love of other people. Let me pray for us. Lord, as we sit in this sermon and word, we ask your spirit now to come. Give us imagination to see and to hold a picture of what this righteousness could be in each of our lives. Lord, use these conversations that we're engaging together as a community to stir up this righteousness. Lord, may it all be d- driven towards this deepening love of you. And as we love you, Lord, may that love flow out into our city. May Lincoln Park and beyond see your love expressed through each of us in our works in our homes, in our jobs, in our relationships, in our friendships, in our time. Lord, we lift these prayers up to you even now as we move to receive from you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to move now into a time of communion. For those of you who have been with us, uh, we've been using real bread, and real juice. As we do, there's just a verse in Romans uh, that I think captures the love of righteousness that God wants to offer to you. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were unrighteous, Christ died for us. So here at this table, we remember the night that Jesus was with his disciples. He lifted up the bread and he said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Likewise, Jesus took the cup He said, this is the blood of my covenant made with you to cleanse and forgive you. Drink this in remembrance of me. Uh, As the servers come forward now, in just a moment, you can stand, filter in through the center aisle. We should have servers on either side. Apologies for the steps here. There's servers also back at the balcony. We just encourage you to cup your hands as you come forward to receive the bread. You can eat it on the spot or you can take it back with, with you to your seat. Uh, And then likewise, there's cups of juice here as well that a server will hand to you. Uh, Let's take and eat and remember.